Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for coming out this morning. It's a big day, you know. We've uh, got several things going on this morning. One thing that we're going to do at the end of service, I know some of you came specifically for that. We've got some graduates in the room this morning that we're going to honor at the end of service. Praise the Lord. Give them a hand clap just for their accomplishments. But you know, uh, today's a very special day. Today is Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with that term, Pentecost Sunday, but, but it's an important day in the church. You know, I, I, I kind of grew up with Paul Chastain over here. We're going to honor him later on. He graduated college recently, and, and we, uh, we went to a church together, you know, and we went to a church that it was kind of full contact Pentecost is what they say, right? And, and, and so he saw that I was going to preach on, on the power of Pentecost this morning, and he told one of our buddies there, he said, you know what, he must be wanting to cut the church size down a little bit or something like that. But you know, the reality is, is that when Pentecost truly happens, it actually grows the church. When the Spirit is poured out among God's people, there's actually transformation that takes place and the Spirit of God draws people into God's presence, changing their lives and empowering them to continue the ministry and the mission that Jesus Christ started. So this, this morning we're in our second little ser- sermon here on the Holy Spirit and this particular message is going to be called The Power of Pentecost. So if you will, go with me to Acts chapter 2 and I'm going to unpack for you Uh, what exactly this means. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born each in our own language which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, and boys are drunk, they're full of new wine. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I just, I sense your presence here this morning personally, and I am so grateful. I'm reminded, God, of when you sent the Holy Spirit into my life to change me and, God, to empower me to live totally different, to live ultimately for you, Jesus, and to point everything that I can with my life to you. And so this morning, Lord, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to illuminate your word, God. And Lord, we welcome you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, pour out your spirit on all of us, Lord God, and let us encounter who you are in fullness so that we can be equipped to do what you've called us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pentecost, like I said, you know, a lot of times it's, it's very funny. It's always interesting to me. Denominations bother me a little bit, but I'm not going to get into that this morning. 
What I, but, but like I said, it's always interesting to me because if we go through next steps, people will usually ask me questions and they want to know what kind of church we are. And a lot of times, you know, they'll even get a little bit quieter. You guys, you guys, you guys Pentecostal or what? You know, because they want to know, they want to know. And, every, and I always ask people this. I say, well, what is your definition of Pentecostal? What does it mean to you? Because mostly what it means to most people in this culture and in our region is far different from what the de- Bible describes as Pentecost. And so they, they, they tag different things like crazy activity and weird things that they've seen and all these different strange things. But let me tell you something. Pentecost is a reality that must be observed, must be understood by the church because the church of Jesus Christ was born on the day of Pentecost. And in that sense, the church of Jesus Christ by its very nature is Pentecostal, if you want to get right down to it. And so Pentecost is, is, is a crazy word. Nobody knows what it means. I'll tell you exactly what it means right now. It means 50, right? 50. Wow, that's impressive impressive 50 okay because on the day of passover if you remember in the old testament on the day of passover they applied the blood of lamb of the lamb to their doorposts and the death angel passed them over on that day they came out of egypt in the book of exodus and they passed through the red sea their enemies were drowned behind them and they were in the wilderness then 50 days after passover on the 50th day moses went up on mount sinai received the law the ten commandments came back down that was the first day of pentecost in the Old Testament and Jewish people have been celebrating it ever since and are celebrating it today. They were celebrating it on this day because we read when the day of Pentecost had fully come. On the 50th day after Passover just so happened to be the day that Jesus died which is very symbolic. 50 days after Passover what we read this is what happens in this moment. See the church is an entity let me tell you something folks that is filled with the Spirit of God. And if the church ever ceases to be filled with the Spirit of God we said last week it is no longer the church. Just because you can get up and read the Bible, it means nothing if the Spirit of God is not dwelling and living on the inside of you and empowering you to do what you've done. Amen? And so the first thing that I, the first point that I want to make to you about Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes, number one, He comes to rewrite our story. I, and I, I was sitting here this morning, I was crying. I had to pull myself together because the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, Clay, I'm reminding you of what I did in your life when you were in bondage, when you were so far from me and you cried out to me that day and I came and I filled the room and I filled your heart and I transformed your life. And I was reminded of that moment and in that same moment, Andrea comes over as I'm being reminded of this and she gives me a word from the Lord that she felt like the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, it, it, it so overwhelmed me in that moment, the love of God, because he was reminding me, he was saying, Clay, people need to hear this message. And I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced and I understand, I understand that people have different backgrounds and maybe you don't believe this, you don't believe that. Can we just put aside any theological backgrounds we have for a minute to be open to what the Holy Spirit might be wanting to say to us through the Scripture? Because I'm telling you, for every single one of us, including me, there is more of God that we need. There is more of God that we need. And when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm telling you right now, no matter what background you come from, no matter where you come from, He comes to rewrite your story. And in the Old Testament, see, God is actually... The day of Pentecost that we just read about in Acts chapter 2 is a very unique, very specific day. Now, when I come in here, most of the time, I don't expect that a mighty rushing wind will fill the building or that we'll even see flames of fire hovering above your head. I don't necessarily expect that, okay? That's not my expectation. I do expect moves of the Spirit and God to move, but there was something very unique. I don't expect everybody to speak in French and Arab and, 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 and Libyan and all that one day whenever we come together. I don't expect that because there was something specific going on. 
in this particular time. But let me tell you something. What happened on the day of Pentecost, I expect the after effects of that to be going on among us all the time. And so what's happening in this specific location is God is reversing something. He's rewriting a couple of stories in the Old Testament. One story that he's rewriting is the story of Babel. Y'all ever heard about the story of Babel? Now, we call it Babel. Why? Because Babel is my baby Babel. Right? And you don't know what she's saying. She babbles, and that's why they called the place Babel, because that's literally what it means. It means confusion. And so they were in the Old Testament. And if you, and if you remember, let me just read it to you in Genesis 11.1. It says, the whole earth, notice this, had one language and one speech. Now, we know we don't have one language and one speech now. Even in America, we got a totally different dialect and speech right down here in Clay County. Amen? I got people, when I go to different places, they don't know what I'm talking about. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose tops is in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city and therefore its name is called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so what you see is you see a group of people, notice this, at this particular time in the world you had all of humanity united in unity against God. Creator. Do you know right now that Satan is still working full time? What he wants is the entire world united in unison against their Creator. And what he wants is one world united against their Creator, one government, one language, even totally united to say, in, in effect, we are against the Creator God. We want to make a name for ourselves. And what you see is they come together with one language, making a name for themselves, and they go up to a tower. But notice, God comes down. But when God comes down at Babel, He doesn't come to empower them. He comes to confuse them and spread them out and scatter them and confuse their languages so that there would be differences because God understood the power of unity. He knew that if they maintained the unity that they had with one language, they would convince the whole world to rebel against God and they would no longer live to glorify God, but they would live for the glory of humanity. And God has always tried to slow that down in order for us to experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. Somebody amen me, right? So we see that, but see on the day of Pentecost... They're speaking different languages and they go up not to a tower but to a mountain, Mount Zion. And when they go up and they're praying, see, God comes down once again, but He comes in the power of the Spirit with with, with a rushing mighty wind and all of a sudden they begin to speak different languages. And in this moment, even though they're speaking different languages, there's not confusion, there is an understanding. In that moment, God is saying, look, no longer am I trying to scatter and cause diversity and no longer am I trying to bring people and separate them and cause division and confusion. I'm trying to bring all of humanity, regardless of nation or ethnicity, back into one in unison, not to make a name for themselves, but to make a name for God. And what they begin to do is it says we hear them in our own languages proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something, you no longer live to make a name for yourself. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you live to make a name 
for Jesus Christ. And He's already got a name that is above every other name, but we live our lives filled with the Holy Spirit to declare that name and say there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so when, when this happens, he's reversing what took place at Babel. He says, I don't want division anymore. I want people from all over the globe. And I even say this. I'll say that in our time, what the Holy Spirit is working to do is to get people to drop their denominational baggage and come up under one name and say, we may have a slight difference here or there, but ultimately we live to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to debate about secondary foolish issues. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God so that the lost people of this world can know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We need the Spirit of God to do this in our lives, to bring us one, all together in unity in one name. That's what He's doing in Pentecost. See, God is in the business of rewriting the wrongs of our past. And He rewrites the story of Babel. He says, no longer do I want that. He said, I'm trying to bring the whole world back. It's not just about Israel anymore. It's about the whole world. And I'm not trying to, get, I'm not trying to scatter y'all. I'm trying to let you speak about the wonderful works of God in unity. You see, the Holy Spirit brings them together and He fills us with His Spirit. But see, there's another story that God rewrites because on the day of Pentecost, just like I said, I want you to notice this because it's so amazing what God does through Scripture. And I've shared this with you several times. But Jesus died when? He died on Passover. And He became the sacrificial Lamb of God. In the book of Exodus, we know that they applied the blood of the Lamb to their doorposts and the death angel passed over. And Jesus became in the new covenant on Passover, our Passover Lamb. The blood of Jesus was applied to our lives and the death angel passed over in resurrection life as Jesus was raised again from the dead, right? And like we said, 50 days later, Mount Sinai, there's a recreation of Pentecost because when Moses went up on that mountain, there was a tempest, a mighty wind and a tempest, and there was fire up on this mountain, and they were fearful and dreadful up on this mountain on Mount Sinai. But see, on the day of Pentecost, God recreates it. There's a mighty tempest, a rushing wind, and fire comes and rests upon each of their heads. He's recreating Sinai, but notice this, in the Old Testament on Pentecost, Moses goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments. He comes down and what does he find? He finds that they are in rebellion against God and that they have already broken the commandments. He breaks them. He makes them drink the golden calf that they had been worshiping. And guess what happens that day? 3,000 people are put to death in judgment because they have broken the law of a holy God. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, the law is not given... But on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is given. And the Spirit comes and writes the law in their hearts and in their minds. But now they are forced out of this upper room and they begin to proclaim the gospel and they're not bringing judgment on people anymore. They say, guess what? There's a man that came and there's a man that died and he took the judgment of all the sin of the world upon himself. And if you will repent and believe in him, you can be saved. And not only that, this promise is for you and for your children and as many as are as far off as you can imagine. And it says on that day, 3,000 didn't die. 3,000 were saved. He rewrote these stories because what God wants to do, and I need you to understand this, that right now so many people that are Christians by name, their story has not yet been rewritten. You're still in the same pattern. I've been there. I remember growing up thinking I was a Christian, believing in Jesus all my life until the Holy Spirit came in power and changed everything about me and my story was completely rewritten. When I was 21 years old, and I was in Lexington in a bedroom. I was one man the day before, and when that moment happened, I was a different man. 
something changed in me. He rewrote my story. There's even people right now, and I thank God for this, that won't come to this church because they still think I'm that dude. Somebody amen me, right? I ain't going down there. I knew that guy when he was 17. Ain't no way. But they don't understand this. They don't understand this. We th- we're thinking about a religion where God doesn't transform who people are. Listen, the old me, I told Andre when we got married, I said, listen, I did a lot of crazy stuff. I'll tell you about it if you want me to. But let me tell you something. That dude that did those things is dead. The man that you now know is resurrected, raised in newness of life, filled with the Spirit of God, and he's a new creation. And they had these fire. Why in the world would God put fire up over their head? I mean, can you imagine just looking over at your neighbor this morning and there'd be a flame of fire just hanging out? You're like, what's up? In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelled in one location over the tabernacle, over the temple in the Holy of Holies. And there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when the fire would move, what would they do? They'd follow it. And it only dwelt where the presence of God was. What God is declaring, it rested upon each of them, all 120. God is declaring that now the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, the presence of God does not dwell in a building or in a tabernacle. The presence of God now dwells on the inside of you. You have become the temple of the living God. And where the fire moves, I go with it. Where the fire moves, I'm moving with the Holy Spirit. He is leading me. And so he comes to rewrite our story if we will allow him to. Number two, I want to give you the second thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do on the day of Pentecost in particular, is he comes to give us power, right? And I'm going to unpack for you what this power is. But Jesus had prepared his disciples for the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you read in your Bibles... John 14 through 16, you'll see that Jesus was very adamant about this. He was serious. He was prepping them. He was like, boys, you really need to know about this dude I'm telling you about. The Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to do a work in your life, but you need to be prepared. He makes such a bold statement that sometimes I, I still wonder if it's true or not. And he says in John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now I want you to imagine that for three years they've been with this man Jesus. Every sick person that's came to him, he's healed them. They have watched him raise multiple people from the dead. The dude has walked on water. He has cleansed the lepers and he preaches so effectively that many people want him to become king. And all of a sudden, after teaching them for three years, he says to them, after doing all of that, he says, boys, it'll actually be to your advantage if I leave. You know what I would have said? I would have said, Jesus, you, all right, you done lost your mind, son. Like, how could you leaving be of any advantage to any of us? Matter of fact, most Christians would say, man, I wish Jesus was here. If he was just here, we could get some stuff done. You know, but Jesus is saying, no, there's something that you don't understand. I'm not just going to be in one location ministering to you 12 dudes and multitudes down here in Israel. I'm going to fill a church globally that will come become my body throughout the world and they will be filled with the same power that I am filled with so that they can continue my ministry in the earth. And he's saying, right now, here's the difference, Peter. Here's the difference, John. Here's the difference, Thomas and Bartholomew. Right now, I'm on the outside of you speaking to you, but you got a heart that needs fixed. And when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm not going to be on the outside of you. I'm going to come and live on the inside of you. And it's going to be Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's going to do a work in me and through me. And so Jesus comes and he tells this to him and 
You know, a lot of times we get questions about this type of stuff. I, I put out questions on Instagram there the other day, and people are always asking, listen, I'm open anytime. You got questions about the Holy Spirit, come talk to me. I'm, I'm ready for a conversation. But people will say, and they'll make this argument, they'll say, yes, but Clay, you talk about the Holy Spirit and asking for the Holy Spirit. We got the Holy Spirit at salvation. And I say, amen. I would never deny that. I would never deny that. And I understand that people will come and they'll use the language sometimes and say, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And it makes people question their salvation. Like I've had people come to me and they say, you know, sometimes the language some of these people use, it makes me wonder if I'm saved or not. Now, there are denominations that they believe a certain doctrine and they'll, they'll say, you know what, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you ain't saved. Let me just go ahead and say it, clear that up for you. That's a lie, okay? Praise the Lord. That's not true. Uh, is tongue still a gift for today? I believe so. But does it, is it for everybody? Not necessarily, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll get, we can maybe get into some of that later. That's not what I want to focus on. Here's what I want to focus on. There are three particular prepositions in the New Testament that pertains to your relationship and the church's relationship with the Holy Spirit. These three, with, in, and upon. You say that with me, with, in, and upon. Three prepositions. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, verse 16 through 17. He says, boys, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. See, when he comes, he comes to abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You notice that? He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying up to this point, fellas, the Holy Spirit has been working throughout the entire Old Testament. And what the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament is he came upon people like priests, kings, prophets for a moment of time for a specific purpose. But he never lived on the inside of them. And what he's saying to his disciples is he says, up to this point, boys, you guys have done miracles. You've done certain things. Uh, you've even went and preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit has been with you, ministering alongside of you to this point, but he's going to be in you whenever the Holy Spirit comes. And here's what he's saying as well. Uh, right now, I want you to understand something. Whether you like God, people out there that don't know the Lord, the Holy Spirit is with them. He's everywhere. He's moving, he's drawing, he's pulling, he's leading people to salvation. And we talked about this last week. When the Holy Spirit is with the person and he begins to draw them, faith is created in their heart by the Holy Spirit. They respond with that faith. And when they believe in Jesus and repent of their sins, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. They're born again by the Spirit of God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit dwells in them never to leave them again. He's going to abide with them forever, doing a work in their heart. But see, there's another aspect that is the probably the most neglected aspect, and that's that the third and that is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So Acts 1:8 it says this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when we talk about power, it's actually in the, the Greek word here is the word dunamis, right? So when the guy that made dynamite was trying to describe the product that he had in his hands that blows up mountains and stuff, he said, boy, what are we going to call this? 
And he said, Look, well, you know, there's a good Greek word called dunamis. Let's call it dynamite. I mean, it's, it's power. So that's what he's saying. He's trying to explain this power. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power and you're going to be witnesses to me throughout the earth by this power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I mean by this is this, that there, look, when the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you and he lives in you. He's, he's speaking to you. He's ministering to you. You got a new heart. But there are moments... And I'll even say it like this. The Holy Spirit came inside of me for my salvation, but the Holy Spirit comes upon me for your salvation. Because here's the thing. I can be saved and just sit in a pew, son, and do nothing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, He comes upon them to empower them for ministry and for service and enable them to do what they could not do in their own strength any, anymore. Now, and there were so many things, i got to be honest with you, I was saved, I believed in Jesus with all of my heart, but one thing that I lacked, and I promise you in my life, was power. I didn't have power over sin. I didn't have power to get up and even read the Scripture. I didn't have power, no way I have power to tell my buddies about Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I was weak and I knew that I wanted to love Jesus more, but I had no power. And the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and something changes. And it, you say, and when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, because I know that's a very, a very you know, divisive subject there, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, personally, what I believe, you don't have to. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But biblically, I got no reason to believe that all nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are not still in operation. And, and when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, what we're literally talking about is a manifestation of the Spirit. You don't just get to operate in healing or whatever it is that you think you get to operate whenever you want to. I wish we operated in it more. Anybody amen me, right? That's the way I feel about it. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit comes upon you in a moment, in a distinct moment, when as He chooses and empowers a person in that moment to minister effectively to somebody. And you know that when He comes upon you, you can actually quench it. You can choose to not respond. You can choose to not follow His leading. You can say no. You can resist Him. You say, Lord, I know you're moving me right now. Andrea felt like she needed to tell me something this morning. She could have easily said, no, Holy Spirit, I don't think I'm going to do that. He don't need to hear that from me. I'm His wife. It'd be better if somebody... But instead, she obeyed the Lord and she shared it with me. And when she did, it touched my heart. It strengthened me. It gave me boldness. It gave me courage. See, Luke 24, 49, this is what I love because Jesus has been raised from the dead at this moment. Now, most people teach it and most people preach it and say, you know what, you, you know the reason Peter was able to preach so boldly on the day of Pentecost? Well, he had seen Jesus raised from the dead. If that had been true, Jesus would not have said... Now, now don't get me wrong. They had to be witnesses of his resurrection. They needed to be. They needed to see the physical Christ raised from the dead. But seeing the physical Christ raised from the dead was not what empowered them to preach Christ raised from the dead. It was not. If it had been so, Jesus would have said, Boys, I'm raised from the dead. Take off. But instead, He says to them in, in, in Luke 24, 49, He said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. This is after He's raised from the dead. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I want you to imagine that language. Imagine being clothed with power for a moment. All of a sudden, something comes upon you and clothes you and you feel different. There's a a difference about you. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't act like this otherwise. Because now you feel an enablement that is not your natural gifting any longer. 
It's not what you can do in your own strength. I need you to understand this this morning because when you get this reality, I promise you I stand here today not because as I was growing up I said, you know what, I'd like to be a preacher when I grow up. If you'd have told me when I was 21 years old that I'd be preaching here today, I would have said, you have lost your mind. The reason I stand here today is because there was a moment of surrender where I repented with my sins and God clothed me with power from on high. Does that mean I'm perfect? Does that mean I'm better than you? Absolutely not. I still got my own struggles, but I'm telling you there are moments when the Holy Spirit comes upon me and He uses me and He will do the same for each and every one of you. Because the Holy Spirit is not a gift, right? He's he's not a gift or a reward for good behavior and unwavering faith. The Holy Spirit is a gift to those who turn to Jesus and wait on Him and say, Lord, I need you. And they get this promise and they say, man, this power's coming. We need to go. They go to the upper room. Ten days they're praying. Now notice this. When you get a promise from God, what do you do? You read it and say, oh, that's pretty good. Like that promise. They got a promise from God and rather than going home and eating tater chips, they decided to meet in an upper room where they... I want you to understand this. I mean, maybe there's probably 120 more people in here. Imagine a group about this large goes into a room maybe this size, probably much smaller, probably a house. They say, boys, I got an idea. We're going to pray. We're going to wait. A day goes by. I think we should keep hanging out. I mean, three days go by. Seriously? Ten days go by. And they're continuing to pray and wait on the promise of God to take place. I'm telling you, sometimes when you need something from God, you need to pray and you need to wait. You need to seek the face of the Lord and not give up because there are those who seek shall find. Those who ask shall receive. Those who keep knocking on the door, the door is going to be opened up. When you don't have a seeking heart, don't expect to receive things from the Lord. He's looking for somebody who's going to seek, who's going to ask, and who's going to come and ask in faith. But see, they wait for 10 days and all of a sudden this power comes. And when they were empowered, here's what I love about this too, because sometimes I know, I know coming from a, a Pentecostal background, like when we, when, we had, when we said the Holy Spirit come, like they got the Holy Ghost, like we, it had really not much to do with what we did outside of the doors. It's what we did inside of the doors. You know, they got, well, he got the Holy Ghost. And, and if you come from that background, praise the Lord. I got nothing against that. I'm for that. Shout, do whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? I love to dance. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it's not what happened to them inside the building as what happened to them outside of the building. They were driven outside to now be a witness to the nations. And so don't tell me that you got the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning if it's not affecting you on Monday afternoon. Amen. Oh, that's good. You can clap if you want to. And when we talk about that, that language of God, the Holy Spirit, I don't even prefer it, right? I got Him. He's in me. But there are moments out there where He's going to come upon me. There are moments in here when He's going to come upon me. As He chooses. You know what? When I go home later and I'm hanging out with my family, Holy Spirit's in me. He's chilling. We're just loving one another, eating, stuff like that. He don't, he, he don't have to come upon me in that moment because I'm just being a normal dude. But there are moments, divine moments, opportunities when you need to be open for the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power to use you to minister to somebody who is broken and in need. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, you know, I love love superhero movies and shows. Y'all like them? It's like, well, when this power shows up, what are we going to do? Do we get to fly clay? Do I become bulletproof? Because that would be cool. Be like, fire a shot at me, you know? And what kind of power do we actually get 
when the Holy Spirit comes up. Hey, let me give you the first one. We have power to proclaim when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 2, 14 through 18, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He says, 9 a.m., boys, we ain't drunk. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now, if you read in the book of Luke and you read in the book of Acts, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, what you'll see is something happens to them vocally. They'll prophesy. You'll even see in the book of Acts that they will speak in tongues and prophesy. But the most, the greatest indicator of being filled with the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden you have the power to proclaim the gospel. And you say, well, no, that's not me. I'm not a preacher. No, I'm not talking about being a preacher. I'm not talking about getting up here and expounding the Word. I'm talking about being a witness for Jesus Christ, both in the way that you live, but also in the things that you say to the people around you that would ultimately lead them to Jesus. And so when we talk about this prophecy, he says, your sons and your daughters, they're going to be filled with the Spirit, and they're going to prophesy. That means, just like what Andre did to me, she proclaimed to me a word that she felt like was from the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, not only it confirmed what was going on in my heart, in that moment but see it also is in line with scripture I get that there's weird people that prophesy all kinds of weird things like this year you know with the Trump election people prophesied a lot of dumb things and this is why Paul says you need to judge prophets right and you need to judge prophecies because there are people one who are false prophets and then there are other people who just want to say something and it may or may not be right or wrong but prophecy comes and it really is, it really is a, an empowerment and a gift to simply speak the word of God in a way that it cuts through the human heart in a moment of time and they feel like, man, I feel like God's speaking to me. You ever had, I have people sometimes and maybe you've had people do, but I've had, when I preach sometimes, I'll go down a rabbit trail and not necessarily know why I'm going. And sometimes I'll have people come to me and say, when you said that, I felt like God was speaking directly to me. That's prophecy. Right? That, that's, the, that's the prophetic edge of the Spirit of God taking a word and bringing it to life and illuminating a heart. And what he's saying is when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you're going to have power to proclaim boldly. So, so Paul, Peter stands up, preaches the gospel, talks about Jesus being crucified and raised from the dead. And it says they were cut with conviction because of what he proclaims and they cried out and said, what should we do? In Acts 2, 38 and 39, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He says, The promise is to you, even though you crucified Jesus. He says, you boys are convicted. You need to repent and give your lives to Jesus and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and this promise is is for you. He said, look, these were the guys that just killed Jesus. And he says, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, the Holy Spirit is for you. Acts 2, 40 and 41, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now here's what's so interesting about this moment. You read that and you just think, Wow, Peter got up and preached. That's what they do in the Bible. Do you realize that 51 days prior, 51, we preached this a few weeks ago, 
Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus three times and 51 days later, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the upper room and he preaches the gospel boldly to over 3,000 people that had just crucified Jesus that he was afraid to say anything to before. Matter of fact, he was hiding for fear of the Jews. What happened to his fear? He comes out boldly proclaiming. The Holy Spirit gives you a boldness. I promise you, there's things that I say sometimes on a Sunday morning when I get up here, I'll leave and Andre will tell you. I'll be like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? I can't believe I said that. Why was I so bold? Probably hurt somebody's feelings. Because the Holy Spirit will give you boldness. Now, He doesn't take full control. He still has to deal with me as a vessel because I'm a little bit messed up and He's flowing through a brain that thinks strangely. So everything that I do, don't always blame it on the Holy Spirit. Anything you see good, blame it on Him. Amen. But see, one reason I know this is true, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. One reason I know this is true is because I can tell you, I, I, when I was 20, 20 years old, I said, Lord, i got to change my life. I want to be saved. I prayed the sinner's prayer. Some of y'all heard my story. I prayed the sinner's prayer at least a thousand times. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd turn it on Christian TV at night and they'd say, just pray this prayer, brother, right there on the other side of the screen. And son, I'd pray it. I'd be like, man, I need to be saved. I'm praying it. I'll pray it again. Let's pray it. And I was looking for something magical to happen. But can I tell you this? Every time I prayed it, nothing necessarily happened. Nothing did happen, I can tell you. But I began to pray. I begin to fast. I begin to seek God. I begin to read the scriptures. And I'm still in addiction. I'm still in bondage. I'm still afraid to tell my, my friends and my family about what's going on with me about Jesus because I don't know what they'll think. And all these things are going on in my life. And I pray and I fast. I'm reading the Bible. I'm worshiping. I'm privately seeking God. And 11 months into this journey, in my room, in Stewart Hall Boulevard in Lexington, Kentucky, I can take you to the place where it happened. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit filled the room. And I cried out to him and I repented and I was broken before him. And in that moment, I don't know how else to explain it, but the Holy Spirit came upon me and he filled me. And in that moment, my chains were broken. I had addictions to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, all kinds of things. And before that, I could not shake it in my own power. After that, I was set free from it. Can you believe that? And here's the other thing that happened. For those 11 months, I never talked to one of my friends or one of my family members about Jesus. And after that happened, I immediately run downstairs because it's early in the morning when it happened. I'd been out all night long and come home. And I was sick of myself. And I'm changed and transformed. Everything is broken. I go down the stairs. My sister and two of her friends who knew I was wilder than a Comanche son, like they knew I was crazy. All of a sudden, I'm preaching to them a different story. God had rewritten my story. I'm telling them what Jesus did in my life. I got tears in my eye and they just look at me like I'm an insane person. <laughs> and I couldn't hold it back. That same day, I get up, I go to college. I'm in classes and stuff. I get done at, at school. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm overwhelmed with the love of God. I'm just like smiling at people. What's up? How you doing? You know, it was fresh to me. And I was doing all that. And, 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 and they're like, man, something's weird with that dude. He must have really like got some bad drugs last night. He's on that new wine. And, and so I go, and as I'm playing basketball, two of my buddies come to my mind real vividly in my mind, and my heart begins to pound out of my chest. Holy Spirit came upon me. I kid you not. I said, I don't know what to do. I was scared to death. 
And it was like I knew, I have to go tell my buddies about what's going on. I go in there, and by the time I get to their apartment, they're in there kind of like, you know, smoking and doing stuff and playing some video games, just chilling out, you know. These are buddies that I party with. I love these guys. And, and I sat down with them, and then I get really scared because the same feeling I had down at the gym ain't the same feeling I have when I'm there. So now I'm planning an exit route because these dudes are in here lighting up doobies, and, it's, you know, and, and that is my old life. And I was like, i got to get out of here. And they're just sitting there playing. And I kid you not, as I'm sitting there thinking about how to get out of there, they put down their controllers, turn off the TV, turn their seats to me and said, what's up, Clay? (laughs) As soon as that happened, you know what I felt? The Holy Spirit come upon me. My heart began to pound out of my chest and I began to speak boldly. I was trembling, I was shaking, I was scared, but I was enabled then to speak. And all of a sudden, I just started reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit was bringing to my remembrance scriptures that I just read the other night. And I'm telling them about Jesus and I'm telling them about what was going on in my life and they're just looking at me scared to death like what in the world's going on. And I, I get done saying all my stuff and then they say, well, Clay, you know, we're saved, man. And son, it was like the Holy Spirit came upon me in another wave. And, he's, and, he's, and, I, and I began to, it was, I had, listen, I had such compassion in that moment. I realized these boys didn't know the Lord and I realized I had just found Him. He had just found me. And the Holy Spirit, see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you think about the condition of another person's soul. You don't just say you're a Christian on Sunday. When you're filled with the Spirit, you want to see people saved. And i got to be honest with you, there are moments when as a pastor I get so caught up in all the other stuff of pastoring that I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, He lives in me, but this is what I'm talking about. This is what this sermon series is about. We need the Holy Spirit to continually fill us so He can use us. And I began to speak to those guys. One of those guys, after I left that day, they were just like, pray for us, buddy. Six years later, one of those guys says to me, he calls me on the phone, he says, Clay... He says, you remember that day when you came in there about six years ago? Spoke to us. I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, I've never forgotten that. He said, that's stuck with me ever since. The power of God was released in that moment to plant a seed. And I promise you right now, had the Holy Spirit not come upon me when I was in that gym, no way I would have went to their house and spoken. But it was a seed that was planted that led to that man's salvation six years later. And this is what we're talking about, power to proclaim. B, power over sin. i got to hurry up. See, when y'all let me talk about the Holy Spirit, I will preach for three hours. i got to get through this quickly, and I will. But B, power over sin, because really there's three types of people, and that these are just people who have embraced their sin. Some Christians, you've just embraced your sin. What you have believed is what I believed early on in my Christian life, that really you can't overcome sin like that. You know, like you, you're going to always drink a little bit and get a little bit drunk. You're always going to look at a little bit of porn, like... Anybody ever done that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but you embrace your sin. And you say, this is just how you got to do Like, we're Christians, but, but we don't have to like, you don't got to be like that, you know. And that's why, how I was. But when, listen, when that moment happened in my life, dude, I don't know how to explain it to you, but I, my desire for sin left. I used to win cussing contests. And I know people cuss and some people have different views of it and whatever, whatever. But, but I can tell you this. For me, out of that, it was over. All right? And I'm not saying that I've not messed up. I've done some wrong things, folks. I still say, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect, but it means I now have a power to live differently than I used to live. 
and there are things in your life, bondages in your life, sin in your life. You are a Christian. I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I'm trying to tell you there's more of God where you can be set free from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you and there's this ongoing thing and it's progressive and it's instantaneous because look, in that moment there was an instantaneous setting free from certain sins in my life but I still had some other issues, right? And I'm still growing. I still have sins that I'm working through. Pride and anger and frustration, all these attitudes. The Holy Spirit is still progressively working through me but see, all of the, all of the apostles knew this because in Romans 8, 8 13 and 14... Here's what Paul wrote. He said, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's our memory verse over there in kids' church right now. Praise the Lord. So how do you put to death sinful practices? You allow the Holy Spirit to begin to draw you into spiritual practices into worship, into reading of His Word, into prayer and into fasting. And as He leads you in these daily practices, He's creating a capacity for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And He says that when you continue in that, you will by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. And let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, if you'll open up to Him, it's not about trying to quit sinning or do better anymore. Your desire is there and the power is there. He changes your desire. You don't want it anymore. I think Jeremy says all the time, test lips over here at MGM. He said, you know what? thing is, I, 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 could, I could do that, but God changed my want to's. I don't want to anymore. God changes your want to's. No, see, the third one. When the Holy Spirit comes, He gives us power over disease and the demonic. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because I ain't trying to scare everybody off. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people get spooked. But... When you have the Holy Spirit, He comes upon you in power for over disease and over the demonic. And Jesus demonstrated this. If you look at Jesus' ministry, He's preaching the gospel, He's healing the sick, and He's casting out demons. Would you agree with that? And in the book of Acts, you see the same thing happening with His disciples. They're preaching the gospel, they're healing the sick, and they're casting out demons. You see this happening as a part of their ministry. Now, I understand, I get it, because when I, when I hear that, do we see people healed like Jesus saw people healed? Or even like the, the, the apostle? I don't. I don't know about you. I don't see it. But here's what I've come to fix myself on biblically after much study, after much prayer, is that I will not allow my experience to dictate what I'm going to believe. Amen? I'm going to say that the, I'm going to have a biblical worldview. And I'm going to pursue that and believe for that, as the old-timer says, as if it hair-lips the devil. I believe that there's more of God. And the problem, one of the problems with this about the d- disease over in, uh, uh, having power over disease and demonic is I've experienced it. When you have an experience and you see God moving in a particular way, it's very hard to deny it after that. So you have to come to grips with the reality of either I'm a crazy person or I'm a heretic. And that was really what they had to deal with with Jesus. But I remember, let me tell you one story. I, t- I told Andre, I said, I said, you know, there's a lot of things I've experienced that I'm always afraid to tell because one, it could seem like I'm trying to be sensational or it could seem like I'm trying to, trying to be some kind of way or, or tell you that I've got some kind of special power. I don't, folks. I'm just a man like you are. Amen? The Holy Spirit uses me sometimes. Thank the Lord. Most of the time, I really need help. We say, Amen? Okay. But I can tell you several stories. One comes to my mind. 
And uh, to, to, to just to teach you this, I, I used to minister down here as a counselor and, uh, and, um, and a chaplain is what they, was my title at a, at a recovery center. And one particular time, this happened actually several times down there, but one particular time we had the whole staff, we were praying and fasting together and everybody was covering certain amounts of days and we're praying and fasting for 21 days. We got toward the latter end of that fast and I was going out for lunch during the days not eating and praying and I'd come back in and I'd teach a class and we had a bunch of, bunch of folks in there and I started teaching a class. When I walked into the room, the coming upon of the Spirit, I felt that. It just, he came upon me. But when he came upon me, I got a very sick feeling in my stomach. And you know, there's a, there's a gift in the Bible that's called the discerning of spirits. You re- recognize that. And I, for whatever reason, I knew in my heart, I'm dealing with a demonic spirit right now, and I don't know what it is. Don't know who it is, because everything was normal in the room. I said, what am I supposed to do with this? Lord, I feel weird. I'm trembling. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, just teach the class. So I, teach, I taught the class, and when I got done, I'm still feeling that weight. And I felt it so strongly that it gave me the boldness to make a very uh, risky move. I told the staff, I said, will you take everybody over to this other room? I want to pray for everybody. And I'm scared to death. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared to death. And I walk over, and I, but I had seen this happen a few times, so I had a good idea of what might happen. And so I began to pray for these people, and as I began to pray, there was a moment that I made a clear declaration to a specific spirit, and when I did, one young lady fell down on the floor and went rigid. We took this young lady. We we didn't make a big show out of it. We took the rest of the people, moved them out of the room. There was a couple of of other women there with me to, to minister to this girl with me, and we began to pray for this young girl and counsel her, and God set her free from demonic power. Amen? Here's what's better. Through the authority of Christ, she was set free. Here's what's better. She had a real bad liver disease. She was dealing with hepatitis and her liver was in terrible shape. She went back two weeks later to go to the doctor to get it checked and it was healed. Now, do I see this happen all the time? I don't. I really, that's rare. You almost never see it in church. I think we've probably seen it. If you've been here a long time, you've seen it in church, maybe here one time or something over the past 10 years. I don't know. Like it doesn't, it almost never happens in church because I'll be honest with you, on Sunday mornings we're afraid to go after a lot of stuff. Anybody amen me? It's like we've got visitors. Everybody act good. And I'm fine with that because I understand that you all, like there, you're, there's visitors in here and, and, and you don't know about this stuff and you're uninitiated. I understand that. But what I'm telling, and, and I'm not about getting crazy. Because when we ministered to that girl, nothing crazy happened. I didn't get loud. I didn't holler. I didn't just speak in tongues and do this. None of that happened. I ministered to that girl, took authority over that devil, and cast it out in Jesus' name. It's a very simple process, honestly. And my point being is there's more to God, and I'm just praying that this morning your heart would open to that reality. And again, I'm not preaching this because I want us to get wild or run the aisles. That's not why I'm preaching. I'm preaching this because there's more to God. And we need to open our hearts to that reality. Let me read one quote to you. I've got to, I've got to get out of here. Lord, children. <clears throat> this guy at Yale University, Ramsey McMullen, he's not even a Christian, but he's a historian. He made this statement. He said, the reason that pagans accepted Christianity was not primarily doctrine, which is our emphasis today. Basically, he's saying it's not... People didn't accept Christianity because Paul got up and was able to argue the faith really well. 
Matter of fact, he went to Mars Hill and argued the faith really well. And you know what it said? A few of them believed, but most of them didn't. (laughs) He says, it wasn't primarily doctrine, but a very simple encounter with power. Our God is more powerful than your gods, the demonic forces that hold you down. Early Christians emphasized healing and exorcism as the chief instruments of conversion and explosive growth that took place. They, they emphasized the power of God to change a human life. And today we emphasize coffee and good music. And The power of God. I want the power of God in our lives. Lastly, D, the power to love. And I'm done. Stephen was a man in the early church, and if you read the book of Acts, it says that he he was a deacon. The apostles had a lot going on. They appoint Stephen as a deacon. It says specifically of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 that he was full of faith and power. Notice that. He was full of faith and he was full of power. And these religious leaders come out against him because he's working signs and wonders among the people. He's praying for sick people and they're getting healed. He's he's praying for demonized people and they're getting set free. And the religious leaders don't like it, as religious people don't like most of the time. You know, religious people don't like it when God moves. I don't know why. So they come on Stephen, they pick up stones, and they're getting ready to stone this man... But he preaches a word to them, the longest sermon in the Bible in Acts chapter 7. And in verse 51, he loves them so much that he says this to them. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other side of receiving that word, that I always resist the Holy Spirit that I'm so proud, that I'm so caught up in my own theology or my own personal belief about God that I'm not open to what the Holy Spirit could do in my life in greater measure. And see, we're talking about simple things because I know, you know, people, people question to me sometimes. They say, Clay, well, I don't, how do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and, I, and I tell them, I, to certain people that tell me, I say, I know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what, how I know? I said, because you've told me that you've been in public and you felt compelled to go pray for somebody. That's the Holy Spirit, folks. We're not talking about something crazy dramatic. We're talking about being led by the person of Christ within to love people radically. He preaches this word to them and he calls them out. They come upon him and they begin to stone him. And here's what I love. It says, in Stephen being filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks into heaven. He sees the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And all of these people in their hatred begin to stone him to put him to death in this moment. And while these rocks are hitting him from people who hate him, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do in that moment? He becomes like Jesus and he loves those who hate him. Only only the Holy Spirit can make you do that. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you love radically. He made this statement that Jesus made while he was on the cross. He said, Lord, please forgive them. Don't lay this to their charge. He prayed for forgiveness for those who hated him enough to kill him in the moment of his death. And he died that day, giving his life for Jesus. And more than anything, I want you to understand this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's all these things. I told you a crazy story a minute ago. Can God use you in that way? I believe he can. But the most essential thing that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are compelled by love. That's why when when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he says, look, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can have gifts of healing and miracles and faith, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. 
Because all of those things, all of the gifts of the Spirit, all of the power of the Holy Spirit flows from the fact that we love God and we love people. And we want to see people set free. And when you truly want to see people set free to the degree that you go to God in prayer and fasting and seeking His face and say, Lord, we don't have the power that we need. We're not seeing people walk in the freedom that you've called us to walk in. We need more of your Spirit. That's when He begins to use you. That's when He begins to use you in powerful ways. And this is what we're called to. My last point, and I'm done here, is that the Holy Spirit comes to make us the body of Jesus Christ in the earth who continues His mission. What I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit has come to fill us all. He's baptized us, the Bible says, into one body, right? And we're all made to drink of this one Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But there's greater capacity for what He wants to do through you. And you need to be open to that. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I want to be filled. When I'm out in public, I want you to come upon me. I want you to use me. And there's going to be moments when He comes upon you and you're not going to know what to do just like me. And in your mind, you're going to be crazy. But you step out in faith and He teaches you. He teaches you as you act. As you go and minister to somebody that you know. Knock on the door of a loved one and say, I want to pray. It should be a normal experience for us to share our faith with people and to pray for people who are hurting and sick. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I know this is a lot to digest. But Lord, I believe it's a word from you and I believe it's a word that we need to take root in our hearts. And so in this moment, what I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to do is to fill us with your spirit, with your power. Would you just ask him right there where you're at? Maybe just open your hands to him. Just say, Lord, I need a fresh feeling of your spirit. I need you to come upon me in power. Some of you, you're in bondage to sin that you've just embraced. And if you will open yourself and give that, give that sin to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I'm done with this. I believe you can give me power over this. Listen, He's going to begin to lead you to pray, to seek Him. And He's going to grant you greater power than you've ever, ever experienced before. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on us right now. Just move in our midst. God, we want to be filled with you. Just right there while you're at your seat. First things first, if you want to receive Jesus and receive salvation and you've never done that before, I want you to do that right now. I want you to make a response. And so if you would, right where you're at, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Just lift your hands to the Lord if that's you. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now for the rest of us, how many of you would say you could use more of the Holy Spirit? A few of you at least anyway. Praise God. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to worship. I know I've run a little bit long, but let's not, let's not move out of the presence of God too quickly. Let's stand to our feet. And if you look, if it was me, and I tell you all this all the time, but response to God brings about the, a greater activity of God's Spirit. It just does. I don't know why. But responding to God through prayer, responding to God through lifting of hands, responding to God through kneeling at an altar, whatever reason it's an act of faith that says to God I want more and God comes to meet you in those places he met them on the in the upper room that day because they had responded to the promise of God they went to a place and they begin to pray and they begin to cry out to God so what I want you to do is as we worship I want you to begin to cry out to God some of you may need prayer for something there's going to be people up here that will pray with you if you'd like but you can come to this altar
But just begin to respond to God. Don't look at me anymore. Just begin to respond to God. Thank you, Lord.